0: Well, 11 years ago, I was at my last church, uh, the church that I was at before I moved to St. Louis Park. I was working as a youth pastor, and I knew that my time there as a youth pastor was up for various reasons. My wife, Brittany, and I kind of knew that our season at that church was done, and we were getting ready for something different, something new, and we weren't quite sure what that would be. Uh, we had been talking with different leaders for actually a couple of years, kind of praying and processing what would be next. I was 27 at the time, and I felt called towards pastoring, but who trusts a 27-year-old pastor? Right? like, how, how would I pastor people as a 27-year-old? And, and, I, and I didn't even know if that's where I was called to. I was just kind of resting through what's next. And so I did what I often do when I'm when I'm in a place of confusion. I pulled away to my favorite place, a place called Clearwater uh, Presbyterian Forest, this camp that I go to in northern Minnesota. And I pulled away to spend some time with the Lord, three days of prayer and fasting. Now, those of you who have heard me talk about my sabbatical last summer, um, you know that that time I didn't fast. I ate brats, and it was amazing. This time I did fast, and I wrestled with the Lord. This was 11 years ago, and since then, this place has built a hermitage uh, with heat and air conditioning, so you can go up any time of year and, and have uh, comfort control. But back 11 years ago, they didn't have this hermitage. And so I went up the end of August, the end of the summer, um, expecting it to be nice. I brought my tent, and I set up my tent, and I and I Spent the first night there, it went great. Spent the second night there, it went great. Well, I started getting hangry because I was fasting. And then the third day rolled around and and my hanger kind of subsided and I started to feel kind of, if you've ever fasted for a couple days, there's this point where you start to feel kind of good, like the cravings of your body have kind of gone away, and you start to like, oh, okay, I'm actually clear-headed now. And so that started to happen, but yet I hadn't heard anything specifically from God. I hadn't heard clearly from him. I was like, okay, all this time away and giving up food and giving up my time to spend with you, and you haven't really told me anything. I mean, this is an amazing place. I love this place, but I haven't really heard from you, God, and that's what I'm here for. So I was kind of frustrated, kind of angry with God, and uh, and I went to bed that night, and the temperature dropped below 40 degrees. Minnesota, right? August. It can drop into the 30s, and I was not equipped for that. I did not have enough stuff to keep me warm, and so at about 2 a.m., I'm, I'm like tossing back and forth in my tent. I'm going out to my car, turning on the car, turning on the heat, letting it warm up. I ended up going for a little drive, and then uh, I was just trying to get through the night, And I heard like footsteps coming through the woods towards my tent. It was a creepy night. I was, to to be honest with you, I was afraid. I was cold. I was lonely. I was angry. I was like, God, all of this. And you haven't showed up yet. And at about 4 a.m., I decided to go down to this back bay, to this dock, and to just wait it out. Wait for the sun to come up. So I brought my sleeping bag and my camping chair down to this dock and set it up. And I just sat there shivering and cold and waited for the sun to come up. And, and as it got closer to morning, there was this fog that came over the bay. It was this beautiful scene, but I'm still cold. And I'm, I'm still, I wasn't as afraid on the dock because I could see what was coming at me, where my tent in the woods, like it could come at me from any direction, right? The dock, one direction. I can, I can push whatever it is into the lake, or they can push me into the lake. I don't know. At least I know what's coming at me. And I'm sitting there and, and, and my fear is beginning to subside a bit and this fog is rolling over the bay and then the sun peaks over the top of the trees and pushes the fog out. And instantly, my, my residual fear, my, my frustration, and even my, my, my like cold body, it just subsided. And as I watched the sun come up and as I began to feel peace and comfort and a lack of fear and as I began to warm up, I heard very clearly the voice of God saying to me, Andrew, proclaim my son Jesus the light of the world and watch fear flee and darkness fade. It wasn't an audible voice, but I had this clear imagery as I watched the sun. God said, Andrew, proclaim my son. It's not a coincidence that that the thing that lights up the world and pushes out your fear is named the sun and that I have called my son, Jesus, the one to drive your fear out and the one to push the darkness out of your life. And so what I want you to do in this next season is to proclaim the Son, Jesus Christ. Proclaim him, proclaim him, proclaim him. And I, again, at that point, I didn't know what that looked like, but it set Brittany and I on a journey of trying to figure that out. We moved to St. Louis Park and we began in St. Louis Park in the Aquila Park Apartments, just a couple blocks down Minnetonka Boulevard here, we began to proclaim Jesus, the Son of God, in our apartment with eight people. And we we didn't know much, we had this plan to start a church, we thought, we didn't really know, but what I knew without a doubt is I had to proclaim Jesus, the light of the world, the Son of God. And as I got to know this community, as I lived in that apartment building, and as I saw people's fear and darkness, I was reminded of this season where the sun came up and God told me, proclaim my son and watch fear and darkness flee. And I worked at Caribou Coffee Shop, and I met so many people who their, their lives are just marked by fear and darkness. Over and over and over again, God kept telling me, Andrew, proclaim my son, proclaim my son, proclaim my son. That is your strategy to combat fear and darkness in your own life and the life of your community and anyone who you meet. And so we started doing that with these eight people. And those eight people turned into 25 people, which met here on Sunday evenings together. And then eventually those 25 people became the roughly 250 people or so who meet here on Sunday mornings. Now, none of this is about me or us moving here to plant a church. This is a testimony and a reminder that when we proclaim Jesus, the Son of God, the light of the world, people's fear flees and the darkness dissipates. I'm convinced that's why you're here this morning. That's why we're gathered together because we have hope, we have faith that as we proclaim Jesus in song and in word and in relationship, as we proclaim Jesus, our fear fades and our darkness dissipates. Amen? Thank you for being a part of this church. And this morning, as we continue looking at John chapter 1, I want to look at the theme of Jesus being our light, the light among us this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand as I read our text for this morning. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God, would you take this word and help it to illuminate you, the light of the world, to us. Lord, we need your illumination. We need your light in order to see your light. May you, Jesus, the light of the world, the Son of God, may you shine into the places of fear and darkness, even in this room, Lord. The darkness isn't just out there. We we have it in our own hearts, in our own lives. We, We have fear May you again shine your light into those places and so that we could experience life, the life of God. We pray these things in your name, amen. You may have a seat. As John opens up his gospel, he uses this ancient metaphor of light and darkness to point us to the goodness of God in a world of darkness. He says, in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John wants to introduce his readers and his listeners to Jesus, not just as a historical figure. And he is going to give us some historical facts, some reasons to understand Jesus as a historical figure throughout this gospel. But he wants us to know that Jesus is more than just a historical figure, a real person who really lived 2,000 years ago in a real time and place on earth. Jesus is more than that. Jesus is God in flesh, and Jesus is a spiritual healer. Jesus comes to meet us in our deepest, darkest places of need and to bring hope and healing and restoration. John wants us to know Jesus as a friend, as a Lord, as one worthy of worship and praise. And so throughout this book, we're going to see John introducing us to Jesus in all these different types of ways. And we have to know that Jesus is more than just a man who lived 2,000 years ago. He's a man who lived 2,000 years ago who is the very touch of God for mankind. So this morning, as we go through this text, I want to answer four questions for us today. And if you remember, we're going to look at this text, all of Advent, the same passage, and we're going to pull out different themes each week. Last week, we talked about Jesus as the Word. John introduces Jesus to us as the Word. John also introduces Jesus to us as the light. So if you, if you missed last week, you can go back and listen to that sermon to understand what it means that John introduces Jesus to us as the Word. Today, John introduces Jesus to us as the light. And the four questions are, what is the darkness? I want to discuss the darkness a little bit so that we can kind of get an understanding of why John introduces Jesus to us as the light. It's unique to the gospel of John to call Jesus the light. It's not unique to John in all of the scriptures to refer to Jesus as the light, but it's unique to to John to talk about Jesus as the light. And so what is darkness? What is the light? What does the light do practically What does understanding Jesus as the light do? And then how do we live in the light? That is our plan for today. And so first question, what is darkness? What is darkness? You'll notice that John says, in him was life, verse four, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness is mentioned twice there in verse five. What is the darkness? Well, darkness, I want you to know, is, the opposite, is not the opposite of light. It's the absence or the covering of light. Sometimes in the, in the church, we, we think about dualism, right? Like there's good and there's evil, there's light and there's dark, there's good and there's bad, there's right and there's wrong. There's, and what we need to keep in mind is that darkness is not simply the opposite of light. It's the absence of or the covering of light. And this this is... This is important, it makes a big difference because it's not just God battling Satan in the biblical metaphor, in the biblical imagery, right? Darkness is where the absence of God's presence is or where God's presence has been covered and hidden and squelched. Think about Jesus saying, do not hide your light, but let it shine. And so darkness is not merely a competing force with God's light. Darkness is where God's light has been squelched, Quenched, put out, or God has removed his light altogether. Now, also in the scriptures, darkness is a biblical metaphor for evil. And so keep in mind, it's a metaphor for evil. Darkness isn't in and of itself necessarily bad, right? 2 a.m. in the morning, that doesn't equal bad. No lights. It, it's scary. It's cold. It's dark. And it is interesting that some of the most horrific things in life happen in the dark and then they're hidden, they're kept in the dark. And so I I do think that this this metaphor in Scripture for darkness, it's very important to keep in mind that there is a unique evil in the physical dark, but physical darkness is not in, in and of itself bad. It's simply a biblical metaphor for what is evil. Darkness biblically can be summarized as the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And you can go through the scriptures and kind of find these three categories in different passages, different scriptures. It's summarized as the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so when we try to kind of grasp our arms around what is darkness, this is a way to help us understand the darkness as the Bible describes it. This biblical metaphor for evil, and evil comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the systems of the world devoid of God's reign and rule. Any worldly system that is devoid of God's rule and reign. I want you to think about this in, in, in two ways. There's kind of the, the like, political, national scene in the world, devoid of God's rule and reign. And then there's also religious systems in the world whether it's a different religion other than Christianity or whether it's a sect of Christianity that is devoid of God's grace. So when we hear the term world, that darkness is a a function of the world, we can think of it as this worldly system, political system, devoid of God's rule and reign. And when we think about those systems, notice through the scriptures, as we go through the Gospel of John, Jesus engaged the worldly systems with compassion, the political systems, and the other religious systems in his day, Jesus engaged those with compassion and brokenheartedness. And then when we think about religious systems, devoid of God's rule and reign, Jesus often engaged those systems with confrontation. So even hypocrisy within the church We'll see this throughout the Gospel of John, and you see this in all the other Gospels. Hypocrisy within the church. Like, religious systems, the worldly system that creeps into the church even, Jesus will confront. He will engage it by confronting sin, by confronting hypocrisy, by confronting injustice in his system, because this is supposed to be his system, his rule, his reign. The church is supposed to represent God on earth. And so when the church gets it wrong when the church leans into hypocrisy and we all have levels of hypocrisy that we're trying to work with and we're trying to work through, that we're trying to surrender and repent of. But when the church or religious systems are consistently hypocritical and consistently show themselves to be devoid of God's real rule and reign, when we lack grace and compassion, Jesus comes and he confronts it. When the worldly systems... Lack grace and compassion, God comes in flesh in Jesus and he shows grace and compassion. There's this verse in Romans that says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he's showing kindness to the lost and the hurting and the broken and the people who have no understanding of the context of God in the world, Yahweh and his sent Messiah. But the people who should have an understanding, those who are deeply steeped in religious systems yet don't understand grace and compassion, he brings confrontation to. So that's that's the world. That, that represents darkness and evil. Also, the flesh. This is something we have to keep in mind. The flesh is another category for darkness. And the flesh, it, it's summarized in many different places in Scripture. It's It's the cravings of our flesh. It's where greed comes from, it's where envy comes from, it's where gossip comes from, it's where foolish talk, crude joking, malice, slander, sexual immorality, idolatry, all these things come from our flesh. It's where our 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 insistent search for comfort, like the worldly comforts. I just I I don't want to be stressed, I wanna binge Netflix for a while because at least I can numb out. That that's the flesh, right? And it's darkness. So the Bible will summarize darkness as the world, talked about that, the flesh, the the things that drive us to the cravings of our mortal bodies, which don't satisfy our souls, and it's going to be different for each one of us. You know what your temptations are, hopefully. If you don't, spend some time probing what your temptations are, and then why might they be there? What are you really wanting? There's this book about St. Augustine that I've been reading, and and I love this book. He goes through, the author goes through, and, and he talks about sex. Like, when I want sex, what am I really wanting when I want sex? Connection with another being. Money. What am I really wanting when I want money? I'm wanting safety and security that only God can give. Adventure. What am I wanting when I want adventure? Risk and passion the things that God invites us onto on his adventure of disciple-making. And so some of us need to probe deeper these these temptations of our flesh because darkness envelops our flesh. When we're giving into the cravings of the flesh, it's leading us into darkness, away from God's light and into darkness. It's covering the light of God that would otherwise be shining in and through us. And the last category for darkness is the devil. And he's just the author of all the above. The devil is the one wreaking havoc. The devil and his demons, the, the, these rebellious angels are the ones wreaking havoc on God's creation. They're the ones behind the world systems and the religious systems that are devoid of God's grace and mercy. And they are the ones behind the cravings of our flesh, pushing us towards things that will not ultimately satisfy us. This is darkness in our world. We need to be careful not to just assume the darkness is out there. This is one of the things that I think the church is growing in and needs to continue to grow in. I think sometimes the church likes to feel like it's better than the non-believing world, and like we're a little more clean, and we need to be careful not to just assume the darkness is out there, to, but, but to identify the darkness in our own life, our dark tendencies, our dark desires, our dark draws. We need to know that the darkness is within us, or at least there's a propensity uh, let me correct myself there. The darkness isn't within us any longer. The gospel is actually saying that Jesus came into our life and burst his life into our, into our, burst his light into our life and expelled the darkness. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we still have these dark tendencies, these dark cravings. So maybe for you, it's religious darkness. Maybe you're judgmental of yourself because you just can't quite get it right and you feel like God's displeased with you. His grace, His mercy doesn't apply to you because you keep screwing up. Or maybe you're judgmental towards others because they just can't figure it out. They keep screwing it up. Religious darkness is a lack of extending God's grace and compassion to others. Maybe it's political darkness, hoping in the world's systems and governments to save you, to bring some reprieve from oppression or to bring you some comfort. Maybe it's fleshly darkness, Coveting, comparing, complaining, giving in to the cravings of the flesh. I'd encourage you, church family, to spend some time this day and this week just probing your own propensity towards darkness. What are your dark tendencies? And why do you go there? Now, this is not, if we understand the light, and we're going to talk about what the light does next, if we understand the light, this does not bring shame. It exposes the things that lead us away from what gives us light Sometimes in churches, we hear sermons about our sin, right? And how bad we are, how broken we are, and the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then you feel all this guilt and shame. And then that leads to further hiding in the dark. If we actually understand Jesus as the light of the world, we should be able to probe our dark tendencies in confidence that as we open up those dark places, the light of God shines in there and brings healing and hope and restoration and flourishing. So secondly, what is the light? What is the light? Let's move on to that. And and the first thing really is the light is the, the created sun, which gives light and life and energy. Like just let's look at it from a human standpoint. The light is the sun, right? The sun that God created. It's out there in the sky today. You can see it coming through these windows. Without that sun, we have no light, That sun is amazing. It creates all of our light, all of our energy, all of our life. But as Christians, and and really I think as, as any human being, you should ask, well, why is that sun there? How did it get there? Who created it? Where did it come from? There's different theories about that. As people of God, we believe that God spoke the light into existence. We looked at this last week as John says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things, verse three, were made through him. God spoke that son into existence to give all light and energy and life to our world. So he spoke this into existence. And so the sun is, is more than just a thing in the sky. It is a metaphor, and it is actually the reality of how God sustains life. And it's interesting, like I said in the beginning, that, that Jesus is the light of the world and the Son of God. So the light, it's the thing in the sky, but also behind this, it's a metaphor for God's glory and goodness, specifically as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we read about the sun, when we read about light in the scriptures, and even when we look at the sun in the sky, and when you and I contemplate how that sun in the sky brings life and light and energy into our lives, we ought to remember this biblical metaphor that, the, that any light, all light, the sun, your light bulbs, your candles, anything that illuminates darkness, again, not the opposite of darkness, right? Light isn't the opposite of darkness. It's something that pushes out darkness. It's, it, 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 it's, it's something that, that doesn't, Quite exist with darkness. See, if it was opposite, opposites figure out how to attract, right? Many of you are married to an opposite. You've figured out how to do life together. Light and darkness can't do life together. In the light, there is no darkness. And in, in, in darkness, like if you're in a pitch black room, you pull out your cell phone, turn on the camera, there's still light. They, they, they don't coexist. The light always pushes and repels darkness, and it's a metaphor for God's radiant glory and goodness, specifically in the person of Jesus. And I want to look at some passages here to understand that this morning. John one four through nine. There's going to be a bunch of different passages that I'm going to look at, and I want you to flip along and see these with me in your Bibles or uh, the Bible there in the pew. There's page numbers that will come on the screen. Let's look at First John four, uh, John one. 4 through 9, 14 and 18, where we are already. In him, that's Jesus, was life, and the light was the, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. See, this very idea here, this this metaphor for light being a a way that we see God's glory and goodness through the person of Jesus. It's reminding us here, John is reminding us that without God's revelation of himself and specifically through the person of Jesus, we can't see spiritually. We are spiritually blind. We need God to reveal to us, His, it, using his light to reveal to us the light of his glory and goodness. We are blind to that. Verse 14, he says, we have seen, right? Even that act of seeing is because of God. And it's his light which allows us to see. It illuminates the darkness and it allows us to see his glory, his light. Verse 19, no one has ever seen God without Jesus, without the revelation of Jesus, without Jesus bringing us who God is. We don't know what God is like. It says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. We see who God is. We see God's glory and goodness through Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 8, verse 12. John 8, 12, Jesus teaching. He says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Think about your areas of life that are prone towards darkness. My guess is you want light there. How do you get light into those dark places? You follow Jesus. You follow Jesus, you follow Jesus. He will shine his light into your dark places and he will also lead you into the light. He will illuminate your path. Next, let's flip over to Isaiah chapter nine, verse two. Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, it's on page 573. This is a famous Christmas passage that we read last week as we lit the Advent candle. This is a prophecy from Isaiah to God's people Years before Jesus came on the scene, and John is picking up on this prophecy, helping God's people to know that the light has come. He says, "The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light; those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone." Jesus has come to show us the light of God, to show us God, God's radiance, His glory, and His goodness flip over to Isaiah chapter 60 It's on page 620 in the Pew Bible Isaiah 60 verses 19 through 22 this entire chapter is beautiful read it this week listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 60 verses 19 through 22 he says the sun And this is a a prophecy about the future and there's debate on whether this prophecy is about Jesus specifically walking this earth here now or if it's about his second coming. And I don't know. I think there's some tension. I think this is partially true now and it will be even more true in the future. Here's what it says. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Hear that promise from God? in seasons of darkness and seasons of depression and seasons of fear cling to these promises this is a prophecy pointing to jesus the light of god has come and no more will you need the sun but yet we still need the sun right we we know that our life would cease to exist without the sun and so i think there's this better day coming where we actually won't need that sun anymore because god in all of his radiant glory will be in our midst This is an incredible promise, and Jesus is showing us this radiance of God's glory. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 1 to see this at play in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The writer of Hebrews, similar to John, the opening of John's gospel, says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance. That word there, it's this illuminating, expanding glory. He is the radiance, the light of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upheld the universe by the word of his power. You see how the Hebrews here is combining Jesus as the word and the light, the same way that John in John chapter one combines Jesus as the word and the light. He's the radiance of God's glory, the the ever expanding light of God's glory, illuminating the darkness. He is the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." One more, let's look at Revelation 22, one through five. And keep in mind that passage from Isaiah chapter 60 as I read this. Revelation 22, one through five. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Just let this wash over you. 12 kinds of fruit representing all the nations of God. And these fruits are for the healing of the nations. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, But the throne of God and the lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is the light of the world, the Son of God, who is coming again, and he will shine, and there will be no more darkness in our lives, no more fear, no more cold, no more darkness. It will all be expelled, which leads to the next point here. What does the light do? What does the light do? So that's the light. It's this metaphor for God's radiant glory and goodness. And what he does, he practically comes to expel and expose our darkness, Giving sight to the blind and replacing fear with confidence. Katie, could we go to the next slide, please, and uh, bring in that definition there? The light exposes and expels our darkness, giving spiritual sight to the blind and replacing fear with confidence. We already already saw this in John chapter 1. Isn't that that exactly what John is saying? That the light has come. In him was life. Verse 4, I'm back in John chapter 1 now. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome light. You turn on a light in darkness, regardless of how small that light is, what it begins to do is expose the darkness and expel it to push it out. That's exactly what Jesus does in our lives. That's why we ought to open up our dark places and allow God's light to shine in there to expose us. And exposure can be fearful, if you don't have a loving, trusting relationship with God and other people. But exposure for the Christian, it it ought to be safe. It ought to be healing. It ought to be good. God's light shines into our darkness. It exposes the things that we want to keep hidden. And what happens in the dark? What happens when things are hidden? What happens when you sweep dysfunction under a rug? It grows. It festers. What happens when you put a Band-Aid over an open wound with contamination in it without first cleaning that wound out? And so Jesus comes into our darkness, he exposes it, and he expels it. He gives spiritual sight to people who are blind, and he replaces our fear with confidence. Look at John 3, 19 through 21. You'll notice the famous verse up there in 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jump down to verse 19. It says, and this is the judgment The light has come into the world, John introducing us to Jesus. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. See, the light exposes. And wicked people who don't want to surrender their control and their life to God, they're going to try to keep the light out you know, we don't want to be exposed, right? That's true of all of us. But as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we should no longer fear exposure. We should actually welcome it. God, expose me, expose me, expose me, because it's in exposure that I'm cleaned and that this darkness can be expelled from me. It says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. The, the true mark of spirituality, of The Christian journey is coming to the light. It's not cleaning ourselves up. It's not proving to other people that we are good, but it's coming to the light. And he says, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The light exposes our darkness and it also exposes in us and for others that anything being Good being produced in us comes from God. It's carried out by God. It's not us. It's not our works. It's not our effort. It's God at work in us. As I close down this morning, I'm not going to go to point number four. I'm going to save that for next week. we got a whole sermon on point number four next week. I just want to look at these last passages as we close down this morning and go to communion. If you forgot what point number four was, which I did, it's how do we live in the light. So next week will be all about application. How do we live in the light? Uh, Let's go back to the last point, though. I want to close down today with point three. What does the light do? And I just want to look at these Psalms and 1 John with you. Look at Psalm 90, verse 8, and continue to understand what Jesus, the light of the world, does. Psalm 90, verse 8, he says, "You You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. There is no secret, there are no secrets before God. He sees everything. And so we ought to embrace his light shining into the areas that we think are secret and hidden from others because in those places he brings healing and he brings light. Look at Psalm 139, verses 11 and 12. David writes, "'If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me "'and the light about me be night.'" Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. One more, Psalm 27.1. David again writes, The Lord, Yahweh, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The light exposes and expels the darkness. It gives spiritual sight to the blind and it replaces fear with confidence. You hear what David says? The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? What have I to fear? There's no reason to fear, for the light of God is here, shining in my darkness, exposing and expelling it, making me new. And then let's close out with 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And keep this passage in mind as we approach communion. This is, Again, John, the same guy who wrote the gospel according to John. John chapter 1 and First John chapter 1 have a lot of similarities. Listen to what John says here in First John 1, 5 through 10. It says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth you should be able to embrace your dark tendencies no problem, right? John here is just saying, if you pretend, if you say that you don't have these issues, you're a liar. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so this morning we have a chance to once again come to the table and acknowledge our brokenness, our need for the light of God to shine into our darkness, to receive The forgiveness of our sin through the sacrifice that he made. Look at verse 7. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We are community. We are a community who 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 tends towards the dark. The world, the flesh, and the devil have a compelling pull for us. But because God has invaded our life with his light through the person of Jesus Christ, we can come to him and receive forgiveness and embrace the light, amen? So I'm gonna pray and then as the worship team leads us, as we reflect on the gospel, you can come and visit the communion stations to be reminded of what Jesus has done in your place on your behalf. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you and we're grateful for your light. You lived a perfect life. You are the light of the world. The life of light. Lord, I thank you that our darkness and the darkness that we're surrounded by did not overcome the light, but your light overcame the darkness. Lord, we invite you to expose and expel in us the deeds of darkness, that we may increasingly walk in the light. And now we take communion as a reminder of your forgiveness for our sins. You're overcoming sin and death on the grave and imparting to us a new life. We love you, Jesus. Pray that you would have your way in us. Amen.